Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Tuesday, December the 21st, and oh boy, are we getting close to Christmas. And during that Christmas joy that we have, we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God this Advent season to see Christ who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus continues to preach on the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches us about subjects that at first glance, we might feel like we're doing pretty well at. Prayer, I'd like to pray. Fasting, I've tried it before. Giving to the needy, well, I want to, until we actually have someone ask us, um, you know, how's your prayer life? Uh, how focused are you in your piety, focusing on the word of God? Well, how many needy people have you helped? Lord, have mercy. Which is why today we take a fresh look at the text. O Holy Spirit, open our eyes and hearts and ears to believe and understand everything in Christ. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy strong word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information of their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Robert Sorensen, Professor of Theology and Foreign Languages at Concordia University, Chicago, Illinois. And also, for our purposes today, it's really a joy because he was the associate editor of the Bible we often use here on Thy Strong Word, the Lutheran Study Bible. Dr. Sorensen, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. It's good to be here. Dr. Sorensen, this is our first time together here on Thy Strong Word. And, and for our listeners, can you spend a few moments introducing yourself and your work as, as a teacher of theology at Concord, Chicago? Sure. I, I get to teach um, Biblical Greek. So um, in our tradition, as, as you know, uh, students have to know Greek to be ordained, at least the traditional route. So um, many uh, study as undergraduates. And so I teach the undergraduates sometimes up to a third and fourth year uh, introductory and then a year or two of Greek readings. And then I also teach uh, different courses, mainly on scripture or early church. I've, uh, I've been the person most likely in our department to teach intro to Bible. Um, everybody has to have a course in Christian scripture at Concordia. And so I often get to teach people who are being exposed to the Bible pretty much for the first time in, a, in that sort of setting. So that's a great joy. And I also get to teach early church. I'm just finishing up a session right now on the, on the early fathers, first couple centuries. Well, and, and this is a great reminder for us here on Thy Strong Word is to pray for our professors who are teaching the scriptures, um, teaching Greek, as you said, our pastors go through Greek and Hebrew before they get ordained, and how important that is to know that this is God's word and to take it serious. So pray for our Concordias, pray for our seminaries, pray for our professors, and especially pray as they have the opportunity to witness to Christ and according to his word in those classes at, uh, at, the, at their respective uh, uh, colleges. So, Pastor, anything else you want to highlight before we, uh, before we begin? Well, you know, I, I still um, maintain a strong connection with, with parish work. I still preach regularly in the bilingual, bicultural parish that I have been serving since before I became professor. So that's important work to me. I, I, have, to, I have to say something about that as well. 
Well, thanks be to God. And, and Pastor, as we um, look at God's Word today and uh, um, see Christ and what He has to tell us, uh, can you begin our time in prayer? Thank you. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have called us to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our righteousness, our wisdom. He has called us to holiness and to live out the righteousness which he gives in our daily lives. We pray that you would both instruct us and empower us to live in this righteousness for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions concerning our text today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. And if you have a question, you can send it at any time um, that can be answered. And I'll be in, always talk to previous guests if the question happens during their time, if they have a perspective on it, talk to different professors and different individuals to make sure that we answer your question to the best of our ability. So send us an email if you have any questions for today. Pastor, we have some unique words when we come to Matthew chapter 6, right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. So how do you want to start us off as we dig into chapter 6? Well, chapter 6, verse 1 is, is, um, is, is important. It's kind of emblematic of, of what's uh, highlighted in this section. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. So that term righteousness is key. We heard it back in chapter 5, right after the Beatitudes, where Jesus said that his people were to have a righteousness that exceeded the scribes and the Pharisees. So it's a theme that continues running and will continue to run throughout the sermon. And why, let's start off there. I mean, that's kind of a unique way to start is why should we beware? I mean, that's kind of like, well, you mean I want to be righteous. Why should I beware? That's kind of a unique word to start with. It is. It's an interesting observation you make. You know, I think there are different pitfalls and different temptations and dangers in all sorts and aspects, all parts and aspects of our life. But uh, one that's easy to be blind to is the, the pitfall of um, piety, you know, trying to do what's right and somehow having that become distorted or twisted or wrong motivation. So there's a way that we can pursue piety that's, that's not God-pleasing, even though we may be trying to do things that are good. I look forward to because that's a lot to do with the Sermon on the Mount in general. For us to be able to, because one one of our previous guests spoke about how the Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most well-known parts of uh, the Bible by people in Christianity and outside of it. Because there's parts that they're going to like. They're going to like, oh, hey, it says here to love your enemies. Well, you're a Christian, you should love your enemies. And I agree, Jesus wants us to love our enemies or, or uh, do not lay up treasures in heaven, or they'll pick and choose this or that in order to have. But at the same time, so then there can be a, a, a certain kind of piety that goes into that. But if you take it out of context, or the Beatitudes is another example, um, that if you take the context, one, if you take away from the cross, if you have no cross in that scenario, then it's just kind of pious behavior that really doesn't connect you to anything that, of the source of our salvation the same time, when we have in the right context, you're able to do it 
and know where your righteousness comes from. And, and, and as you work on college campus and, and life, how, how tempting is this to kind of just follow the rules without actually seeing Christ in it? I think because it's a Christian college, I think it's the same temptation that people experience in, in, in their congregational life. Um, we can feel like, hey, we're on the right side here. Uh, we're, 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 we're blessed by God. We're, we're trying to do the right things and please him and lose focus of where this righteousness comes from and what makes our behavior righteous. Ah, very good. So, so Dr. Sorensen, as we look at this, is there anything else with context or um, general themes that you want to highlight before we dig in? Well, this word righteousness is going to be thematic. And there's going to, in this first verse that we've just looked at here, there are um, phrases that are going to be repeated. So he's going to say, if you do this, that's your reward. And he's also going to say, on the other hand, there's a reward with your father in heaven. So he's going to talk a lot about reward and one righteousness gets one kind of reward another kind of righteousness gets a different reward. Hmm. So let's, uh, now, now you got my head. Now I'm, my head's spinning a little bit here, how we're going to address this. So the first title is given to the needy. So I wanted to start by reading the first four verses and for you to continue on this theme. Now I'm thinking about rewards and, and, um, I have four kids, so I, I'm thinking, okay, what kind of rewards am I giving out to my kids? Anyways, uh, verses one through four, as you look at chapter six, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Matthew chapter six, the first verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, Dr. Sorensen, as we look at this, these verses are, um, like, I, I, I read the title and I think, oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well here. I go. I give to Salvation Army. I just gave money today. As a matter of fact, I, I give to the local food pantry. I've gone to our local Catholic charities here in St. Cloud, and I've I've donated peanut butter. I mean, I've I've done pretty well. But then I read this, and I'm kind of scratching my head. I'm not so sure. So, what is Jesus? Um, what's Jesus telling us here with these words? Well, Jesus is contrasting the reward that comes from people when they see us do good, and and those are good things. Um, God bless you for doing those things. But he contrasts merely human praise, reward is the word used, with what God the Father does when we do it for him. So we can't judge people's hearts and we can't really know their motivation, but God does. And here Jesus contrasts people who do things simply to be seen by others and praised, and that word we're using is rewarded by others, by humans, and the kind of piety that's for God and doesn't care if people see or not because it's done for the Lord. And Jesus says, if it's done with that motivation, then God who sees in secret and knows why we're doing it, he rewards much better than anything we could ever receive here in this world. So how does that relate to giving to the needy? 
Um, he says, and this is, and I, I'm legitimately asking because this is a portion that I've always kind of struggled with when it says that um, sound no trumpet uh, to be praised by others. Truly, I say, this is verse two, they have received their reward. So what, what are they saying? They've already received their reward. What is that referring to? Well, if people look at you and pat you on the back and say, well done, um, we, I think we need to be honest. That's, that's not a small thing. People crave affirmation. Right. And if people don't tell us thank you, we, you know, we can get pretty bent out of shape. But that reward, which comes from humans, based on what they're able to see, doesn't compare to what God rewards for doing things that are motivated, motivated by his spirit. So however great it is to be affirmed by people, and Jesus says, you are rewarded, but that's your reward, no more. That human reward in this world is nothing compared to what God will give us when he uh, rewards his saints on the last day. So right now, in any transitions in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let the left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may be giving in secret, and your Father who is sees in secret will reward you. So is this, I mean, we can just try to make this very simple. When you give, don't let anyone else know about it. Um, and then I'm good, right? Is that is that what he's saying? I think there's more to it, but it goes a long way, doesn't it, right? So how many buildings would be, um, would be built by donors who didn't get to put their name on it, right? Right. Or... What would it be like if, if we passed the plate and, and there were no numbers on the, on the offerings, on the envelopes for the offerings? And no, no nobody knew. Um, it, I think it would change somehow. Like I said, when we, when we do things for people, when we give charitably and people don't say thank you, we, you know, that reaction that we've all felt, well, wow, they didn't even say thank you. I, I think that shows how great a pitfall this is and how great a temptation um, so I think it's a good kind of touchstone, a good kind of litmus test. If, if no one knew I were doing this, would I, would I still want to be charitable? And what does that tell us about ourselves? Well, you know, we are social creatures and God has made us so, and we, and we do crave the affirmation and approval of other people. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not much compared to the surpassing uh, affirmation that God gives his saints when they serve him. Now, of course, this is something worked by the Spirit. Um, and when you go to um, Matthew 25, where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, the sheep don't even recognize a lot of the stuff they've done. Well, when did we come visit you in jail? When did we see you hungry and feed you? Um, and yet, God rewards them immeasurably greater than they can even imagine. So there's a mystery to this, right? It's not that it's not that human affirmation is bad. It's just that it so pales a comparison to what God does for his people. So as we read this, it's, it's, it's important to look in our context. So there's a few things. If you're doing something, and I, I want you to, to uh, clarify. I mean, you're a teacher. You know how to clarify what your students are saying. And, and I'm going to make sure that I'm speaking in the right direction. Is it's, it's, um, so 
you want to give to the needy and you want to do so in faith, knowing that we have a great reward in heaven, that Christ has already done it all. Mm-hmm. So we give, and it is perfectly okay to give without anybody knowing about it. But we aren't necessarily saying that you can't give with people noticing, as if like I gave and I gave and, and people noticed, and therefore that's sinful and wrong or something along those lines. It has more to do with the faith and the intentions of the giver. Is that is that is that along along the same right? right yeah, line? I, I think the word motivation is 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 okay. is key here. So, what's the motivation? If it's if it's only to be seen, Jesus said, "Okay, whatever whatever kudos you get, that was it. That's your reward." Um, however, if we give what, how God would have us give, if, when we're led by His Spirit, sometimes we're not even aware of it. Uh, it's it's so powerful, you know, that part where the sheep say, when did we do that? Um, it, it means that there's much more to our life than even we realize. So if we count on what people see, uh, we're going to get gypped compared to what God can give us. We ourselves won't even see. So, so what would be your encouragement um, in your congregation for people, you know, students in the in your class what would be your encouragement as they speak as you speak about giving to the needy? Why should I give? Why, you know, what's the right context of giving and serving our neighbor? Well, I think you have to have a hearty appreciation of how much God has given us. And so um, when you go to that um, that wonderful passage where Paul talks about dying to the law and no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me, um, we realize everything that is good and right within me is Christ living within me. It's the result of what God has done for me. And I think to the extent we have an appreciation and a sense of just how much God has done, is doing, and will do for us, then I think it just naturally flows. Jesus will later talk about you know, trees producing fruit. And if a tree produces fruit, you kind of get an idea what's going on with the tree. And I think in many ways, um, we always talk about fruit flowing from God's previous work. So the Christian life is one that is lived um, in and through God. And when, when we have a sense of how much he's done for us, it just naturally flows. And like I said, sometimes it's so natural that people don't even even recognize what they're doing. When did we ever see you and do this for you? And when did, when did we do that? They don't recognize. Luther's got this wonderful quote about that. He says, you know, it was really God working through the, through the believer. When he rewards them, he takes a crown that is his, that is his own and puts it on their head. It's a really powerful line. I've, I've kind of paraphrased, of course, but the idea that God works through us and he motivates us not merely to receive from him, but then to act in accord with him and his ways. And then he rewards us on top of it for what he himself worked. It's quite a thought. That, that really is. That just makes me think about more and more not to do a fruit inspection within me, you know, kind of like, okay, now I'm going to give to this and I'm going to evaluate my internal feelings and thoughts. 
but a constant reminder of what Christ has done for me, which we obviously receive in worship, we receive when we're, when we're praying and, and in the word, that, that from there I'm asking, Lord, help me to serve, help me to give, help me to help, help others. How can I do so without it being like this? And I, I think we do this where we'll evaluate my intentions. Well, is my intention pure here? Well, you know how that's going to go. You're never going to be pure intentions in this stuff. But at the same time, understanding that we're doing this out of faith for all that our Lord has done for us. And that's the beginning point. Any other, any other thoughts you have? I mean, we could probably talk about this all day, but any, any other insights or thoughts? There is one thing, you know, when you, when you don't let your right hand know what your left, um, sometimes that is out of respect to the person who will receive. Um, you know, there are some people who are most needy who are just mortified at the thought of asking, let alone receiving. So sometimes, um, you know, giving to somebody, especially if it's done publicly, can, whatever the intent, uh, can serve to humiliate them, right? And so I think there's an aspect here, too, that when we give without even the person receiving knowing, um, it, it, can, it can be um, mindful of, of the sensation, it, it, the feeling it produces within, within them. It's hard for some of us to receive, you know? It is. It is. Yeah. I remember when I was in college, someone gave me a gift, and I, my natural reaction was to say, no, I don't need this, and I don't deserve this, and I'm going to become a pastor. I don't need this kind of gift. And I remember when my dad told me, do not deny people the joy of giving. Right. And it really struck me, like, what are you talking about the joy of giving? Scripture speaks this way. God loves a, a cheerful giver. Um, that people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, are, are led by the Lord to give. And they find joy in this. They love to serve and all this. And sometimes we act as if they shouldn't have joy in that. But they do. So we have to probably be better at receiving and giving thanks for that reception. And then praying, Lord, how can I be giving as well? I mean, that something always struck me. Any thoughts on that? Uh, you know, so I've, I've experienced that very thing and I've heard, I think probably my dad or our dads were both pastors, right? <laughs> Say something like that. Um, it's not necessarily about you receiving so much as of giving. Um, maybe here's kind of a little picture of maybe, you know, a child uh, draws something and comes and presents it to dad and says, lucky what I did for you. Can you tell what this drawing is? Um, the parent doesn't need that drawing, but the child needs him to receive it. Oh, my kids are now older than that. That was so much fun when they would do that for me. Oh, that's, that's, that's really fun. Very, very good picture of our relationship with the Lord and one another. Well, Pastor, I, I, think, I think I'm ready to move to the Lord's Prayer. Um, anything else? Are you ready to move on in the verses? By all means. All right. I'll read now verses 5. Five and six, as we look as, as the transition is to prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here's one hypothetical reality of this pastor. Someone says, well, okay, you're right. I shouldn't pray in public. Therefore, I'm not going to go to church anymore. 
Is that what Jesus is saying here? No. <laughs> not, not at all. Okay. Sorry. So what is he saying? <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a, a similar uh, kind of analogous to what we just saw. If you're praying is only to be seen, and if you're praying only so that people hear your prayers, so they can say, ooh, well, that's your reward. You, you wowed them with your, your piety and your lovely prayers. Um, he says that prayer is directed to God, and we need to focus on that. And the God who hears what we say in private rewards in secret. So um, I think it's the same temptation that we, we just heard to do things for the wrong motivation, to merely be rewarded and affirmed by others. And once again, you know, people may affirm us and we may feel quite good. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I give a good sermon, I, <clears throat> I enjoy that pat on the back. <laughs> I do. I do. And that's important, but it, it's just not, it's nothing. Once again, it just, it just so pales in comparison to talking to God and having us, uh, having him hear us and having him respond to us, you know. Um, I, I think I think what I've been trying to say numerous times here is um, it's not that we deserve anything. It's that God is so gracious. He rewards us above and beyond what he's already given us by grace. When by the power of the spirit, we live lives that reflect him. It, it's, it's just unbelievable how much he's already done that he would reward on top of all that. But he's he's saying he will. And this is something where there is some practicality to this, where a lot of times we probably should just go and pray by ourselves and to do it that no one really knows um, that we're doing it. And it's one of the greatest ways to serve. Dr. John Kleinig has spoken about this, where one of the best ways to serve your neighbor is to pray for them because you're laying everything that their needs or that people or whatever the situation may be and you're taking it to the feet of Jesus as opposed to your own feet. And what better place to be um, when someone prays for you? And so I, th there is that practicality to this that, yeah, um, intentions are, are a, a piece of this. But with those intentions, it's good to pray by yourself. No one knows you're doing it, but yet you're serving your neighbor, which I, th I think is something that Dr. Kleinig says so beautifully. Any, any other thoughts on these first six verses? Or, yeah, yeah, these first verses. It, it's so interesting you say this because I, I, I think you would, as a pastor, also have had this experience where you have parishioners who say, "Pastor, I'm praying for you," and yeah. you, you know it's true. Right. You know it's true, and so I think as I've grown in age, I've I've increasingly appreciated not only those people in my parish who pray for me. But I think back, um, I had an aunt who was very pious, my dad's sister, God rest her soul. And I know that she was always praying for her family. I think about my parents and how much they prayed for me. And unfortunately, sometimes I gave them occasion to pray all the harder. Um, I think as you get older, I'm just speaking personally here. As I've gotten older, I have come to a deeper realization of how much blessing came from people who were devoted to praying for me. And when your kids pray for you, oh, there's nothing more powerful than when your young children pray for you, right? Yeah, nothing, nothing better. Um, there's a reward here on earth, 
And there's a reward in heaven when those things happen. Amen to that. Pastor, right now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 6 with Dr. Robert Sorensen, and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 6 with Dr. Robert Sorensen, professor of theology at Concordia University, Chicago, Illinois. And Dr. Dr. Sorensen, we, we've gone through the first six verses. We've talked about giving to the needy. We've talked about prayer. You've mentioned some, some powerful realities of prayer. And, and for me, as, as I've aged as well, I think as a younger person, you kind of you thought about prayer as this kind of this thing you did. It wasn't really talking to God. It was, or if it was talking to God, it was kind of more like a buddy system kind of thing. I'm talking to my buddy right now. Um, but you said there's a power of knowing what is actually happening in that prayer. And, and, and Lord, help us to pray more often, to pray for those individuals. And the power of knowing that people have prayed for you and served you and brought you to the Lord um, in that prayer and how powerful that is. That, that's, a, that's a very, especially your kids, like you mentioned. Anything, I mean, we'll get now to the Lord's Prayer, but anything else in those first two verses as we look at prayer? Let's move on. All I right. Think, yeah. Verses 7 through 15. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be their name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we'll leave 14 and 15 to when we cover prayer here, is that he's, he's speaking about Gentiles and thinking about how they pray, and then he gives them his prayer, which is quite powerful. Um, what is he doing in those verses? Well, he begins by saying um, prayer is not a matter of... of um, of just heaping up words and um, the, the the word to how do it turns out to heap up empty phrases actually sounds like Babel. It's Betelogeo, and it means to what it sounds like to Babylon. So he he you know um, he gives a prayer that is succinct, um, and yet everything's there. Everything we truly need is in there, our Father. 
Can you expand? Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, you know, I have my own little routine of prayer, and and I, I so I I pray for the world, and then the church, and then my own parish, and then my family, and and sometimes I I. I don't get all the way through, you know, I kind of have a, a set way that I, I pray. But um, when I think of how simple this prayer is, it's just stunning in contrast, because it's, it's so to the point, and every word and every phrase, so packed with meaning. Um, you know, um, it, sometimes when we're teaching catechism, we spend a lot more time, say, on the, on the commandments or the, or the creed and, and those are in, in, very important as well. But, um, you know, the, the Our Father is just full of incredibly important doctrine. And so I, I, I don't know that there's a more condensed, um, more packed in every word bit of, bit of scripture anywhere. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable how short it is, and yet how much is there, is all I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Because you think of uh, simple things, I know is "Thy will be done." Like that's ultimately our lives. We live. We spoke about this in, in previous uh, guests with Matthew five, where we basically are living. Thy will be done is our daily task. Everything is in God's hands. What do we need? Daily bread. What do we really need? Forgiveness of sins. And who is the one that's trying to keep us from all that? The devil. So lead us away from the devil and protect us, O Lord. And it all starts with the Father in heaven. Um, and it, it, it really shows us, well, it's a good thing for us to continually pray. And I find myself doing this too, is that one, a few things I've noticed with the Lord's Prayer. Number one is that I'm always learning more about it. Even as you're saying what you just said, I'm like, you're right. It has everything I need right there. Not that I didn't know that, but it, it kind of opens it up again. Secondly, it's something that people remember even when they can't remember almost anything else. There's an older gentleman I visited recently who's who's struggling with his memory. And when I started singing some hymns and we did the Lord's Prayer, I mean, it was laser sharp and, and he was, you know, focused beyond belief. And it's something that the Lord has given to us. And some could say, well, that's just because he knew it when he was young. Maybe. But also I believe there's a, there's a Holy Spirit moment there where the Lord allows us to remember those things because it has everything we need. Other thoughts? Well, you know, sometimes less is more, and yeah. and sometimes um, focus is what's most needed in life. And I think I think you said it well. This focuses for us, you know, what we really need, and what 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 should be at the center of our prayers. Um, um, you know, Jesus said to Martha, "There's there's many things, but Mary's picked the, the important thing." And I think this prayer focuses what really matters. And it does it all the more powerfully because it does it so, so concisely. And as you said, we, we can spend a lifetime unpacking it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm amazed by, you know, the catechism. I think the catechism is one of the most brilliant things Luther ever wrote, maybe the most brilliant thing. And he has something as simple as the introduction, our father, and says, God would by these words tenderly invite us to believe that he is our true father and that we're his true children. So that we may, with all boldness and confidence, ask him as dear children, ask the dear father. You know, that's a, he's unpacking a lot from just a few words. Yeah. 
And, and, I, and so, I, as I said, the, the catechism does a masterful job on this. And um, there's just so much there. That's not, not even to talk about the large catechism. But yeah, no, you're right. It's, 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 it's a prayer that you can say in any Christian context, and everybody will be on the same page with the same words. And there's not a lot of context like that. I mean, you know, you have different versions of the Bible, you have different versions of this, you have different religions. Um, I mean, to be able to unite people, it is something that is uh, the creed. The creed unites people, uh, the Christians, excuse me. Um, But the Lord's Prayer, wow, you can start praying that in almost every denomination every Christian heritage that there is, and, and we're, we're on the same page. Someone might say debts and debtors, um, but at the end of the day, boy, it is, it is spot on. And people know that something holy is going on there. This is something that is very important. So I, I've rarely seen someone do the Lord's Prayer and kind of act as if not something good is going on. You know, they're not messing around. It usually focuses people in as well. So there's a lot, there's a lot to what the Lord gave us. Um, with this beloved prayer. I'm, I'm looking at the next few verses that talk about forgiveness. Um, and obviously that, that relates to the Lord's prayer, but anything else you wanted to look at specifically just with the prayer piece, which is those um, five through 13. You know, to kind of transition to where you want to go, I, I think that, um, that to kind of talk about the, the, concision and the focus here. I mean, look at the next verse. It says, um, God forgiving. If you forgive others, your father forgives you. If you don't, he doesn't. So to, out of, out of, so looking at the prayer and the very next thing says almost like what's most important within that prayer. I mean, is there any Christian life? Is there any Christian prayer? Is there any relationship with God apart from forgiveness? It's just such an apt thing to follow up. They are father. Well, let's read those verses and um, dig in. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know, Dr. Sorensen, if I, if I do this <laughs> just with a plain text and saying, if you don't forgive people, Jesus won't forgive you. Um, but if you do, you will be forgiven. What a deal. It's a, you know, I give a little bit, you give a little bit, I do this, you do this. Um, how would you describe that to, let's say that one of your students, you know, it's kind of like learning the Bible and goes, oh, good. So there is a little bit of give and take between me and the Lord. What would you tell them? I would say that um, the forgiveness spoken of here is God's forgiveness. And while it is meaningful between people to forgive one another, it can be a very powerful moment, uh, even amongst non-Christians, right? Where someone does wrong and the two people forgive each other or, you know, the, the offender is forgiven. That, that, that's a very powerful thing, even at a purely human level. But in the Christian faith, the forgiveness that we share is God's forgiveness. So it's, it's the starting point is God has forgiven the whole world through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we get to share that. But of course, the starting point is we receive. It's, it's, we talked earlier about um, the, the primacy of, of receiving from God. 
And so because we receive this forgiveness, we can actually share it with others. And, um, you know, if you boil down the Christian faith to one word, it would be harder. It would be hard to find a better one than forgiveness, right? We've been forgiven by God. He has forgiven all people. He calls us to forgive others, even as we have received. If, if, if people could just kind of learn one thing about the faith and really appreciate it, that it's, that's pretty much at the top of the list, isn't it? So as we look at this, it, it really goes back to when we talk about giving to the needy, you have that, that focus on intentions because we will see people giving and we might never notice the difference of somebody who does not have faith and those who do. And it comes down to prayer. We, you know, a lot of times in our context, we'll see people who are praying, but they're Christian, and so you know, we we were able to see that, and 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 other people, and we might not be able to make a lot of the distinctions or understand what's all happening there, but there is something distinctive when somebody forgives the other, because we live in a world that never forgives. You know, it's um, uh, it's uh, uh we'll say something like, "I forgive, but I never forget." You know, we talk about uh, relations between countries. Like, you did that, we'll forgive you, but we won't forget it. And then you talk about relationships and people, and we will say, water under the bridge, or no big deal. You know, all people make a mistake. But then we really have a hard time telling somebody, I forgive you, or in Christ you are forgiven, or to fully understand that when someone is forgiven in Christ, that they're fully forgiven. It is a very powerful, like you said, heart and soul of the Christian faith, that when it is done in a way that it's supposed to be done, meaning that you actually say those words, it makes an impact on people because the gospel is different. It's definitely different than the way the world works. So I think it's one of the great witnesses that we have as well as Christian people. So any any thoughts on that, uh, the distinctiveness of forgiveness that you spoke about as well? Well, it, you're right. So I, I had the opportunity to teach... Um, students from our university who were, uh, so we had a, a relationship, we have a relationship with a, with the university in China. And so students would come here, um, for part of their Chinese nationals. And so they, they had to take intro to Bible as well. And I, I was very keen to teach that class. And it was so interesting because, um, th- there may be people with a, a Christian background, but not many, but it was so interesting when they read, the story of Joseph. You know, you read that long story and it's completely new to them, the vast majority anyway. And you get to the end and it says, Joseph forgave his brothers. And it, it was such a powerful story. Um, and I think sometimes because we know it, we kind of fail to see or we forget how powerful it is. Um, sin breaks everything. It's, it's distorted and broken the whole world. Um, and yet God loved the world and forgave the world, and he did it at unimaginably great cost, the death death of his own incarnate son. And to forgive is to, in some sense, to embrace this incredible thing that God has done, and not only to receive it, but to share it with others. It's a very powerful thing. And all the more within a Christian context, because it's it's there's this other dimension that, that it's coming from God, and that it's 
of cosmic significance what God has done for the whole world. So next time you're in church and the pastor pronounces forgiveness, realize that this is, uh, how would you define it? What the cosmic event? Yes. Yeah. This is a cosmic event happening that in Christ that you are forgiven and how, how different that is in the world, but also it's earth, earth shattering type of stuff that, uh, well, God does it under the radar, but yet the benefits and the rewards are great, not only here, but also in heaven. Pastor, we're looking at fasting. We have about 10 minutes left in our time. Um, anything you want to highlight uh, in the previous uh, uh, verses? Well, so we started off talking about um, piety that's just intended for human eyes. And I think you get the same kind of thing here. You know, um, when you fast, you're doing it for God. So, you know, put on your, your, uh, your, your happy face, right? And if people don't know, so what? You're not doing it for them. And contrarily, if, if you, you know, look miserable and show people that you're fasting, good for you. <laughs> people will see and that's your reward. So let's read those verses, um, verses 16 and through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint a head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. So it follows that same theme that you've been highlighting is that understanding of when are you going to receive your reward? Are you wanting the, the pat in the back now or later on? But he speaks about fasting. So let's let's start here. What does he mean fasting? What What is fasting? Well, it's abstaining for, from food um, as a as a religious observance. So, um, you know, the Jewish people practice fasting. Uh, the early Christians were quite um, quite committed to continuing this practice. When you read something like the Didache, one of the first writings of the church church fathers, maybe older than some of the books in the New Testament, and it talks about fasting. And um, to this day, you know, we still have penitential seasons. We're in one, and people will abstain from eating. Um, it's I would say it's not much practiced by modern. American believers. But I think if we think of it more broadly as kind of make a sacrifice, a voluntary sacrifice, I think it will maybe kind of get at the idea, you know, to do something that involves sacrifice um, almost immediately and instinctively leads us to feel like we should be rewarded somehow. And so if you fast and people see it and they say, oh, look at that, that's your reward. But if you fast, or sacrifice other ways for God, and no one else knows about it, he knows. And that's what matters, that he knows. And, and the motivation that, that uh, moves us, right, to, to, to do things for God out of gratitude for what he's done for us. So here's something that I'm trying to think, and I think this relates with your vocation as a teacher and as a pastor, is okay so we want people to be careful with their motivation their intentions when it comes to something like fasting 
but also you want to be able to teach fasting, right? I mean, this is something as Lutherans, I know we have a tendency to say, well, we don't fast, we're not Catholic or something. Um, of course, we tend to overlook these passages where it doesn't say, you know, when the, the Catholics fast, you know, unlike us or something, it doesn't say that. It says, when you fast. So I struggle with this is you want to do it in quote and secret, but yet you also want to teach and to lead and, and to help people in the same process. How do we explain that or teach that where um, uh, people have to learn about this as well, but yet we don't want to be showy about it and act like, hey, look at me kind of thing, but also it's, it's something we need to teach. How would we make that distinction as we look at fasting? You know, you're laying your finger on something that's a, kind of a bigger challenge because on the one hand, we we necessarily um, focus attention upon people's behavior when we call for godly behaviors and we ask people to do things as he would have us do. Um, but that's kind of what the section's warning us about. There's, there's a peril in looking at your own behavior um, because really the behavior that Christians produce when things go right is inspired by the Spirit. It's worked by God. So on the one hand, we can't, we can't uh, refuse or, or turn away from looking at our own behavior. Um, but I think kind of the point made over and over here is that there's a certain peril in it. So I don't, yeah, it's just one of those things that's so hard, right? The, the, the Christian life is, is full of paradox and peril. It's, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I wish I had a better answer, Pastor. <laughs> well, and it, and it is something where we don't want to overemphasize looking at the fruits in our own lives, but we do want to make sure that our intentions are what they're, what they're meant to be. So how do we teach along with learn? How do we be faithful while at the same time um, receiving, you know, thanksgiving from people on this side of eternity? Nothing wrong with that, but also keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's a struggle in every single church. A struggle for me and, and for you as we're speaking about this. But it's okay if you fast and nobody ever knows about it because the Lord knows. It's okay if you serve Nobody ever knows about it. Why? Because the Lord knows. It's okay if you pray and nobody knows that you're a man or woman of prayer because guess what? The Lord knows that's what you're doing. And you're doing so faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us in Christ. Now, Pastor, we look at these verses, Dr. Dr. Sorensen, um, about giving to the needy, the Lord's prayer, fasting, how would you summarize this and how it relates for us today? Any kind of um, encouragement slash, uh, uh, I guess, applic applications for today's world and how we should think about this? So sometimes when I, when I teach classes, I talk about uh, passages that are, when I teach uh, college students, I talk about the Bible having prescriptive sections, you know, do this. And sometimes I say, yeah, yeah, but this part's descriptive. And I think that's a, that's a helpful kind of distinction. On the one hand, um, the Bible is prescriptive. You know, there are things that, that 
they're not optional, they're commandments. And we've talked about the catechism and, and um, there are many more than the Ten Commandments in terms of things that are just commanded us above all that we love one another. That's a big challenge. But you know, the Bible also describes how God loved the world, how he sent his son, how his son gave himself in sacrifice for us all and rose from the dead and then poured out his spirit. And he dwells within his people through his spirit. And his spirit, who is always at work in God's people, does these wonderful things. And that's just, that's just what God does. And it's a wonderful description that I think we don't think about enough. You know, the way God works in his people is mysterious. It's as hidden in some ways as Jesus' humanity, uh, excuse me, Jesus' divinity was hidden hidden. You know, most people didn't recognize Jesus as divine in his earthly ministry. Um, We have such great gifts as the uh, sacraments hidden under earthly elements. You know, there's, there's a hidden part of our life as well. But God's Spirit is at work in his people. And the more we receive the gospel and the clearer and deeper appreciation we have of what God has done, is doing, and will do for us, the more this arises naturally. And by naturally, I mean as a consequence of God's work in us. So I, I guess what I would say is um, we just need to take God at his word. He promises to do X, Y, and Z. And he does. He's faithful. Even when we ourselves sometimes don't perceive it or see it, he's doing it. One of the quotes by Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs, when we look at Matthew, is, is he said, this book is about the unbelievable mercy to unbelievable sinners, which I, I think that really relates to us here is that uh, we know the reward is great in heaven. This is what he's given. And he's given us pr- it's a practical advice here to live, giving to the needy, but uh, uh, fasting, praying. At the same time, he, try, he keeps us in context of what this is all about, which is Jesus. And Pastor, we have um, only, uh, well, about a minute left in our time. Uh, I guess, how would you, any other encouragement or thoughts that you have on this wonderful, these wonderful verses we've gone through? Well, I, you know, because I teach people often that are quite unfamiliar with the Bible, I, I, I kind of shorthand and say, you know, this is red letter stuff. And I'm actually looking at a Bible before me that's got Jesus' words in red letters. And, you know... <laughs> When there's a lot of red letters, like on the Sermon on the Mount or what Jesus says just before he's betrayed in John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you know that that's important stuff. So I would just encourage uh, your listeners to read this and commit it to memory and um, understand that the one who said it is the risen one. And as much as it may be a challenge or seem like it could never happen in my life, it depends on that one who's overcome the grave. Dr. Robert Sorensen, professor of theology at Concordia University, Chicago and Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter six. Dr. Sorensen, thank you for giving us his gifts. Thank you. As we hear these words, we get some good practical advice. At the same time, it's all, uh, all covered by the shed blood of Jesus. The reward is great in heaven, and he continues to give his gifts today 
O Lord, may we be ones to serve, to love, and to do it all to your glory. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.